What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Microcast. As usual, today's episode is hosted by me, TJ David, and Zoe Rome. I think we're going to be talking a little bit about our relationship to New Year's resolutions, starting things you know, on a clean slate, nice and fresh, and the difference between, quote-unquote, resolving to do something and committing to do it, and what those structures, systems look like. Yeah, but as usual, we'll warm up with some hot or not topics. Hot or not. I wish we had like a like a radio DJ like soundboard to be like, burr, 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 if something's hot, or like a auga if it's not, or like a fart noise. We would need like a producer somewhere in the back to like, we need like hit a, us with that. Yeah, we need a drive time radio producer. That'd be pretty funny. Shock jock. All right, let's get let's get into it. Stair steppers, hot or not? I'm not super hot on these. Um, I think step ups as part of a strength routine have been shown to be beneficial. Um, every so often, I'll have an athlete that becomes convinced that getting on the like step the stair stepper machine at the gym is going to be their key to success. And um, I'm here to report that anecdotally, that has almost never let, never in my recollection and experience, led to an athletic breakthrough. Um, I think that typically the best thing to do is to focus on strength and economy mm-hmm. in the, in the context of running training. And in, in the context, would, do you think of stair steppers as strength training or do you think of it as like cross training? I mean, they're in the, they're sort of in the middle. Like, I think it's like kind of hard to say what they are. Cause it like, it depends on a lot of things. And that's like, they're sort of hard to fit into a specific box and to understand what specific stress they're putting on the athlete. And I think that's one reason I'm reluctant to be like, these are hot because like, it's, it, I don't fully understand. Like it's hard to say exactly what, how the athlete's body is experiencing that stress stimulus. Right. If you're like great at using your posterior chain, I suppose using the stair stepper could be like great for building, I don't know, some mountain legs. But also there's uh... like, I, I feel like you could get the same effect with like doing step ups with more weight and then that's less time and less strain on your cart. Like there's just like more, it's sort of like, I feel like the stair stepper is gray zone training and that's why I don't like it is because it's not really strength and it's not really cardio, but it's a little bit strength. And it's a little bit cardio. So it's sort of like ineffectually sapping both systems with like no real understood benefit. I'm not saying there's never a place for this. Like, I don't know if you live in Florida and you're training for UTMB or hard rock, a, God bless, and B, sure, knock yourself out. Like, we'll try some weird shit because your life is weird, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I'm, like, really not here to recommend that we all go out and hammer the stair stepper. Like, if you want to do it as a little cross-training, I'm not totally opposed. I just think there's, like, better ways you could an athlete could spend their, their time and energy. What do you think, Coach TJ? I agree. I agree. If we're going to cross train, let's cross train. If we're going to do step ups, let's do step ups. Let's ideally do them with uh, some weight so we can really provoke those adaptations. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. And I don't have data really to back this up. Just experience as being a coach. I've seen some athletes use the stair stepper and they, it just like reinforced that their posterior chain strength is not where it needs to be. They got a lot of lower leg issues from overusing their calves. Um, I just, I'm not into the stair stepper. No, it's my not personal, for runners. That's really based yeah. on a few experiences. Well, cause not it's a lot also of hard data like, it's not, going upstairs isn't 
the same thing as running uphill. They're not totally different. They're also not the same enough to really be all that helpful. So I would be like, if you have the time and energy, do cross training to build that strength or like do strength training to build that strength and then do speed training. Cause like speed, like improving your running economy and overall fitness will make you better at running uphill. Like I feel like stair steppers are such a marginal gain compared to like just getting fitter. Like at the end of the day, just be fitter. Just get fitter. Just get fitter, man. Like <laughs> that's all there is. Racing abroad, hot or not? Hot, you know, it, it's not something, you know, I, as someone really conscious of trying to live in a way that reflects my environmental values, um, jet setting all over the place is not fully in alignment there, but strategically traveling at key moments and then working to reduce my overall footprint while channeling the majority of my time, energy, and resources into holding major polluters accountable. I know that we're getting really far afield from the original topic here. <laughs> Hot or not it, here. It just, it always like as an environmentalist though, it always feels like a trap. Like I'm supposed to have like some like perfect like Instagram quote about like, I don't be like, I'm, you know, I'm Zav and I'm only going to take the train to race. And it's like, well, I live in a rural Colorado, so it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I do want to compete at high levels of the sport. And I do want to, experience the world like I want to save the world and I want to experience the world and I don't think those things are always in conflict and I don't think they're always together so I like racing abroad I am very intentional about it and I don't do it as much as I could because I want to live in a way that reflects my environmental values I want to offset my own footprint when I can while understanding that my own footprint is a drop in the bucket of the larger carbon equation so it's a fraught question for me. Yeah. I it's mean, complex. As it should be, right? Most things don't have a black and white answer, but as our human brains work, we, we, we seek out that black and white. I know. Rather than leaning into the nuance of, you know, right. the decision making I know. There. Like, I could definitely make a much stronger name for myself in the trail running space if I was like, no, I'm never traveling again. But, you know, that I don't believe that. Like, right. I believe that it's much more important that I, like, hold you know, people in power to account for regulating the travel industry more than anything. Okay. That's a slippery slope. You know, I don't see that really working. I know. I mean, it, it like, you know, we can develop cleaner transportation systems. That's Those, for sure. That's, and that's what I want to spend my time doing rather than being like, because I tr took one less trip to Switzerland or whatever, I'm an environmental savior. That's not true. <laughs> what do you think? Because you go to Switzerland so <laughs> Because often. I am always going back and forth between Carbondale and Switzerland. <laughs> Heavy sarcasm if you guys Heavy didn't, sarcasm. did not I have not been to Switzerland out. in a while. <laughs> so racing abroad, I like it. Yeah. Um, but I like it more because it interests me to use races as a vehicle for exploring and learning about new cultures. I agree. Embedding myself in different parts of the world and hoping to expand my perspectives on just how we humans show up. You know, yeah. I really use it specifically to, I don't know, bring forth a feeling or a chance to learn something, a new perspective. Um, obviously, you know, like there's really beautiful places around the world that I'd like to see. Um, and I, you know, have the privilege of getting to see, um, so, you know, and I really support athletes who use racing as in that yeah, same way, uh, I agree. just because, you know, 
the goals you set need to have that intrinsic uh, piece to them or else they're not going to be sustainable. You won't work your way through the highs and lows in the process, mainly those challenges that are the, the really the biggest part of the, the, the friction that exists in preparing for a race. So you need to have some of those kind of like other motivators the other the drivers for creating the behavior, the habits, the routines, um, you know, like going abroad to race, doing something like CCC or UTMB, Argentina, those, you know, have been motivated by like cultural experiences for me. They've been motivated by, um, you know, seeing different landscapes, using, you know, running and the fitness I've built to kind of like move in areas that are unfamiliar. Um, you know, a lot of that links back to my why. And I think if you have reasonable reasons like that for wanting yeah. to do these things, you know, um, then it could be, then it could be hot for you. Yeah, totally agree. What do you think about kettlebells? I think that they're great. They're, they're good weights. They're a weight that you can use when you do your single leg. <laughs> it's a weight with a handle. <laughs> my opinion is that it's a weight you can hold. Yeah, um, that's, they're hot for that. Yeah, I'm I agree. I'm sure why they I like a, Well, okay. So they're like they were originally or like they're sort of like the trendy like swinging like people will do the workouts with much kettlebell swinging um you know do it under supervision and don't expect it to be a silver bullet for your you know like if you find a way that helps you feel like a more full athlete go for it but i would just caution of like I don't know. There's some people that have like an almost culty relationship to the kettlebell. Do they? Oh yeah, dude. Just use the handle. It's a lifestyle. For you. No, I, it's not about the handle, man. <laughs> like it's like it's about the shape. It's the swinging. It's kind of feels CrossFit. Is that what you're saying? It's a little CrossFitty. Yeah. How is is CrossFit good for runners? Is that it hot? is not good for runners. Do Ooh. not. I do not. Again, like if you like it, and you you know what at the end of the day whatever flips your skirt go for it um i have some a i mean i have so many issues with crossfit um google crossfit investigation <laughs> to start <laughs> um and then it it's weird it has like a weird relationship to the military industrial complex it is also definitely not formulated to enhance running fitness and strength and I think that, again, your time, money, and energy, if, if like running is kind of the be all end all for you, as it is for me and many folks on our team. And if it's not like, again, you do, you go with God, tendons beware. How about crunches? Hot or not? Not hot. Um, crunches are a great way to strengthen. And we teased this on our last episode, uh, CR conversation about planks crunches are a great way to injure your back while superficially strengthening your abdominal muscles. i feel like crunches just reinforce the bad posture i guess yeah 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 they actually make people hours a day exactly they make you really tight um and they don't really strengthen the abdominal muscles that help with running and stabilization and functional fitness because what are we looking for what do we want to strengthen we want to strengthen our deep core and our trunk in our athletic chain um, and crunches just sort of like can get you sort of like the superficial muscles and they put a lot of strain on your back. So yeah. I feel like you'd be don't much, endorse. much better off doing those planks, different plank variations, yeah. bridges. And like supermans to strengthen your, yeah. your back core. And also to re- kind of reverse that yeah. posture issue that yep. we often get from sitting at the desk. And oh Correct. man, if you can do some oscillating to a standing desk, that's like kind of a, 
we're about to get into New Year's resolutions yeah. here, which uh, maybe a standing desk is something that I need to invest in. Yeah, love a standing desk. Although standing, I get so tired, but it hurt. Sitting hurts my back. Right. I'm so whiny. Boy, I'm gonna sitting is hard, but standing is hard. Extra arch support. Can't for I just standing. run fifty miles? <laughs> Let's talk about the New Year's resolutions, intentions, commitments. Let's yeah. talk about, let's just, So, well, how do you want to yeah. frame this? Yeah, so something I'm bringing into this conversation is I originally started running as a New Year's resolution. Wow, you did. I did. That's surprising So, like, 1% of 1% of the time, this shit works. Um, I can't think of a single other resolution I've, like, meaningfully kept. Because... New Year's resolutions aren't that strong of a way to build a habit. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And like, so I, you know, I do this column for Outside Magazine. I have a partnership with Strava um, where, you know, I get to look at thousands of data points. And I did an article in August about how many people in August were still on track to meet the goals that they set on January 1 through the Strava app. And it was like 30% of people. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that article was really great because it kind of gave uh, some additional examples of like, what are the things that these athletes are actually doing that keeps them on track yes. and then kind of correlates from there. Um, do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. So looking at Strava data specifically, consistency is huge and frequency. So it's not just about like the people that run 10 miles twice a week. It's like, can you run two to three miles five to six times a week. Like those people were people who don't engage in the big heroic efforts were significantly more likely to reach their goals than people who were like really doing like high peaks and then valleys, like go do a ton, get injured, have to recover and then feel guilty and do a big effort and then get injured and have to recover again. So frequency, consistency, and community were huge. People that run with, this was, this was the wild, this is the thing that surprised me. People that run with their pets are more likely to be consistent. I guess dogs. I don't right, I didn't see the, any data the about dog, cat running. The dog kind of helps them get out yeah, there. They yeah, know yeah. The dog needs the exercise. As a coach, I don't wholeheartedly endorse doing all of your miles with your dog. I think that, you know, my dog is not going to be doing any workouts or strides with me. Um, she does doubles and easy days with me sometimes, and that's awesome for us. Um, if your pet helps you stay consistent, awesome. Do that. Um, but also it's your life and, you know, your dog can't run 50 K for you. So it's okay to prioritize your athletic goals over the pet. Um, and running with other people is more likely to help people stay consistent. Again, this becomes challenging where, you know, frequently I'll see athletes who won't complete workouts, strides and intervals, things like that, because they want to run with a friend who like doesn't want to do the workout. I would say, Hey, just pressure your friend into doing the workout or drop your friend off and then do the workout. But community can be a really powerful tool for staying consistent. This is shown again and again in the data. Absolutely. Absolutely. And man, it's actually really weird because I kind of do a lot of solo runs. You yeah. do a lot of runs. And over the last, I don't know, a couple months, I've been running with a, with a buddy who's also a microcosm coach. Zach Shout Russell. out to Zach. And the other been, ZR. Yeah, it's been fun. And sometimes we don't like have the exact same training prescription as we, you know, as we shouldn't have the same prescription because we're different athletes, but he'll maybe be doing a workout and then he'll double back and we'll run the recovery or I'll have a workout. I'll double back and run the recovery. And like, there are ways to kind of like 
compromise or like work with your schedules. I mean, if you're not doing your strides, your hills or your workouts because you're wanting to run with the community, I mean, if we could have that buzzer come in now and hit that thing, yeah, uh, not good, not, not good, good uh, because you're not doing the things you need to do to get better. And if you're not doing the things you need to do to get better, what the hell are you doing? And if it's true community, they'll support you. That's right. Absolutely. hundred percent. Like during, I mean, for our Carbondale group runs, I think it's always fun to look at like all, you know, it sort of groups all of our Stravas together. And I'd say like half the people I end up doing the group run with did a workout before and the group runs their cool down or they ran earlier in the day and it's their double or they did strides and then they went to the group run or they do the group run, then they go and do their strides on their way home. And there are way like community it prioritizing your pursuits and community are not in conflict. And if you view them in conflict, that's a you problem that you need to address with your coach or your therapist or your therapist. There's usually something much deeper there. Totally. But like the idea of community doesn't mean sublimating your goals. Yeah. And I, Oh man, I don't know to go into a a tangent here, but, but again, it can enhance your goals. Like, so build self-awareness, know what community means to you. If you're someone that never runs with folks, maybe get curious about how community can help you run better. And if you're someone that struggles to run alone, you can get curious about or something like we see, we have a big group of folks in uh, Northwest Arkansas who like to run together. A lot of these people will do their three mile warm up before a workout. They'll go do their interval interval separately. Then they'll come back together for the cool down. Like these things are possible. And those are some of our strongest, most advanced athletes. And it's like one of the reasons that they are sort of this little like, whale pod of excellence is because they have accountability they have a community that is dedicated to lifting each individual up and supporting each athlete's individual journey i think if you actually if you really look into i don't know the sociology there the way that our brains have kind of developed over time we are not even they are introverted people out there but we are not meant to kind of go through these experiences alone. The the glue that helps hold them together is not only the habits and the routines, but also the people you surround yourself yeah. with. And we talked a lot in our newsletter this month about the importance of community as that glue. Um, when the folks around you mirror back the culture that you want to create, when those folks are going for big goals, you're much more likely to go for big goals. Um when you hit your obstacles, they're most likely to step in and be somebody who you can externalize to to ask support from because they also have had those moments and they understand what it's like. And so that kind of like mutual compassion uh, that exists there is really powerful. If you're going through things alone, um, you know, that's going to immediately set you at a disadvantage when you hit those inevitable obstacles going for whatever your goals are for this coming year. Um, because you're not going to have somebody there who can be like, that's normal. Or maybe you should see a PT. Like that sounds kind of severe. Like, Hey, just, you know, maybe, you know, take a week off. Like you need to have that in your life. You need to have that connection. Um, I think that that allows for a higher degree of vulnerability and then you can't go for big goals without that. Um, so in my mind, you know, we all lift each other up when yeah. we work together. And so when I see different kind of parts of the microcosm community getting together and running and training and, you know, that I'm like, yeah, that's a strong culture yeah. there. 
Yeah. And that's going to really help those athletes go from this level of like, do I have a new year's resolution to like, I'm actually committed and I'm really going for a goal. And here's the way that I'm demonstrating that. Yeah. To me, the thing that sets a commitment apart from a resolution is structure and accountability. So like, what is your system to actually implement this change? Like if it's a dietary change, if it's like a recovery lifestyle change, or if it's even like, I want to start running consistently, or I want to train for my first ultra or my first hundred mile race or first 10 K, whatever it is, distances, it doesn't really matter because all of those goals take significant time and uh, infrastructure. So are you just saying, I want to run more? Or like, are you saying, I want to run more? I'm going to achieve that by running, you know, these days a week, I'm going to set aside this time, I'm going to block my calendar, I'm going to hire a coach, like what is the actual action you are taking to support that commitment? That's correct. A New Year's resolution is basically just an intention. It's an idea around something you want to do. And ideas are great because they can kind of like jumpstart the process, but they're also very weak because they don't just like tell you, like you, you, you're not actually taking it that next step to the actions. Like you mentioned, it's like, great. It's good to have an intention because that kind of gives us like, it can kind of get the, the gears spinning in our minds. But if you don't like take that to the next level of, okay, now I'm putting in my calendar every uh, day that I'm going to meditate at 12 noon during my lunch break or every day that I'm going to run three miles at 8 a.m. or I'm going to see my PT once a month at, you know, this day and this time and getting super, super specific and scheduling it in and making it a part of your life. That way the habit's much stickier. Um, It's a, it's a big issue. Like I see so many athletes, um, Actually, you know, I'll take that back. In the beginning, when I first started coaching, I saw a lot of athletes operating on the level of intention and Mm. New Year's resolution. And, you know, as we've grown as an organization, we've called for folks who are much more committed. Yeah, I would say that's like kind of a reason behind the price increase as well is because we wanted to message to our clients and to our organization that we are looking for committed clients, not just clients who intend to run more we want to work with people who are committed to running well right and then who are willing to like get on that call and like and i love this man about doing deep dive calls and connecting one-on-one with my athletes because we go through the habits and the routines because we're you know you're taking somebody who's committed or moving to that place of commitment from intention and then you're like really dialing in and so everybody thinks like oh that new year's resolution it's a big thing I'm going to go to the gym every day. And a huge mistake they make is like, well, that gym session has to be one hour. Oh, yeah. like a, a thing I've heard recently on some other podcasts and stuff is like, I've got, I'm strength training one to three hours a week. That's my resolution for this year. That's going to really upstart my, uh, taking my training to the next level as a runner. And that's because, you know, lifting heavier can correlate to better, gains in economy and you're processing less oxygen to go at a given pace. And that's really, really great. So yeah, so that stuff is true. But at the same time, uh, what is your current routine around strength? Are you even doing, you know, I would never recommend an athlete lift heavy without a program supervised and designed by a professional strength coach. I would agree with that, but let's not go down that rabbit hole. Let's stay on habits and routines. I know, I'm just saying like, if people hear that and they think I should start lifting heavy, <laughs> you, yeah, that's an issue. Don't that's, that's a serious undertaking. 
don't let's not let's okay we got that out. That's there. just one little caveat. <laughs> we got Sorry. that out there, but let's think about like the difference between somebody who doesn't have the habit of strength and strength training at all. Say like, think about like the conversation we had around like deep core earlier mm, in this conversation, right. or like planks in the last conversation. We're like, oh, what do we recommend? Like, start with like one minute after your runs, yeah, and build from there. Why? Because that reduces so many points of friction. It yeah. makes it so much easier to accomplish that one thing when you make it really small and you're much more likely to do it when you know it only takes one minute of your time uh psychologically you're going to be like it's going to be less hard so as soon as you like try to like go cold turkey on something like this year i'm not going to drink at all okay great goal but you know like it's a lot harder to like not drink at all forever than it is to like once in a while have a beer. Yeah. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot is the power of the whenever possible. So actually there's some research that shows that adding whenever possible to the end of goals, like of process goals, like I'm going to do, I'm going to eat 100 grams of protein a day whenever possible. Actually that flexibility allows people to break out of the black and white perfectionistic thinking and will actually enable people to engage with the goal more frequently, which is better long-term um, rather than like, oh, well, I didn't get hundred grams of protein today. Why bother? I'm totally off the wagon or like, oh no, I didn't eat in a way that was most supportive of my athletic goals today. I'm totally just going to disengage with this goal or like, oh, I didn't get my strength training done. If you can move to, I'm going to do 20 minutes of strength training whenever possible. I'm going to double whenever possible. I am going to um, drink my protein shake whenever possible. And I'm not saying you do that to let yourself off the hook. I'm saying that you do this. And again, this is validating the research by giving yourself the flexibility that allows you to engage more consistently and imperfectly with the goal. Oftentimes, perfectionistic thinking around goals is what kicks people off the wagon more often than a looser grip. Right. And that's like, right. Like creating that huge standard of like, I'm not in line with my new year's resolution. If I'm not doing one hour of strength, right? Like it's all or nothing. It's go big or go home. And more often than not, when you do that, you go home. Or you do it for a few weeks, a few months, and then kind of like that honeymoon phase around things, the spark starts. And it's not sustainable. That's right. We actually published a really cool um, breakdown of a study on Trail Runner this week about the difference between healthy striving and perfectionistic thinking in a study specifically on trail and ultra runner done at the European Trail Running Festival that was really, really interesting. And it showed that striving around things like exercise, strength training, dietary concerns can be helpful, whereas perfectionistic thinking often leads to dependence on exercise, disordered eating, and eating disorders. How do you think that plays in with... um commitment versus intention or versus new um, year's resolution i think commitment means that you're driving you're in charge you are guiding it and perfectionism is compulsion so like are you running because you're like i'm running to get better or are you running to avoid negative feelings associated with not exercising so like that's the difference between like i am in control i am driving the car or like the car is fully running me over because i don't have other healthy coping tools Yeah, I think the kind of the inverse to that is like, I feel like I'm lacking something. So then I have to do all of this in order to prove to myself something, to prove to others something, um, to kind of like fill some kind of emotional void maybe that I'm experiencing. And it's like, well, you know, when you're doing that, then you're still you're operating back in that zone of like, I'm not really in control of this. A feeling that I have is in control does it have you or do you have it? 
Right. And when we talk about, you know, sustainable habits, which we're always talking about this kind of conversation around this kind of time of year, because it's so present in people's minds, we want to move to that mentality of like, okay, what are the things that I'm doing? And how are they in service of where I want to go? Correct. And that I think is a really important key to maintaining the commitments and kind of staying out of some of those traps that you just mentioned. Totally. And I think that, again, like the two primary components of a commitment versus a resolution are action and accountability. And I think accountability is huge. And that can sort of be through a system like hiring a coach, having a coach, or having a community. So for athletes that I have that struggle to consistently do like mobility and PT, I'll start prompting them to record that in their training peaks or in their training log. Yeah. Um, for athletes that struggle to remember to take supplements, I'll have them record that. For athletes that struggle to remember to eat the correct amount of fuel for breakfast, I'll have them start recording that. So it's like, if you're truly committed to something, what is your system for accountability? Um, are you journaling it and sharing it with yourself? Um, if you, if you want, if you're committed to meditating more, do you have an app that like has a notification that reminds you, are you recording it? Like, what is your system for holding yourself accountable? And if that is not a system that works for you, how can someone else hold you accountable? I think it's, it's really hard, especially at, when you're at the beginning of one of these journeys, like we get to speak from a, a place of privilege because we've put so many years into developing our habits and routines that they've become part of this bigger thing, which is our way of operating, our way of being. Um, they are literally a part of how we show up because they're so strong. We've built them out for so long. And people, sometimes at the beginning of the process, you're a newer athlete or you just have this bigger goal. And now you're realizing that's going to be a mechanism for serious transformation when it comes to perspective, habit, routine, uh, the way we think about those things. Well, boom, like, am I relying solely on myself for this? Or am I going to kind of like utilize other um, people, bring them in, create that team to help that win that process? And that is a game-changing action in service of commitment that you can make because of the way that you just said, well, as a coach, I can hold athletes accountable by doing X, Y, and Z. And I really like that accountability process. An extreme that I go to sometimes is like when an athlete's struggling to uh, meal prep and they're not mm. fueling enough. So they're not, maybe they need to meal prep or they're not getting uh, their workout done because they're struggling to schedule it into their day or, you know, whatever it is. Something that I do is like, okay, great. Um, we're going to schedule that into your yeah. uh, planner and then take a picture of that. And every day, send me a picture of when your workout is. Yeah. Or uh, you're struggling to meal prep. Every night before you go to bed, I want you to send me a picture of your meal, meal prep. Yeah. Like as these very specific in the moment accountability tools where it's like, well, I know my coach is expecting at 7 p.m. that I send them this photo and then they're going to text me. Why didn't you do it? Yeah. 7 p.m. And it's like fairly extreme. Yeah. Um, but when I when I have athletes that struggle to maintain consistency, I'll have them break down for me. Like, why didn't this run or workout happen? And what specifically are you going to do different next time? Because sometimes I'll get a wishy-washy answer like, oh, I'll do better next time. Or like, I'll make the time next time. I'm like, no, 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 that's not specific enough. Are you going to put a block on your Google calendar? And are you going to tell your supervisor at work? No, I need an actual lunch break. Like, what are you specifically going to do differently? Because just hoping that it'll be easier or less crazy has just never once happened. No, and I think that that's... No one's life gets easier. <laughs> that's been a, a huge thing. People often ask, you know, Zoe, TJ, like, 
you do so much. Like, how do you, how do you get it done? And it's like, well, it's that awareness around scheduling and time, time management. It's not that, you know, I'm any less busy than someone else. In fact, like every single week, I feel like my life gets busier. Yeah. And recording this podcast on the first thing on a Sunday morning, Sunday morning, you know, and so it's, you know, when do you have the time? What are your priorities? I don't have the time. I make the time. That's right. That's, I think that's even a better way of thinking about it. Right. Cause if you, if you think like, oh, I'm relying on this space to just yeah. kind of emerge, you're already kind of like behind the eight ball. Yeah. And I think for me, some things that have been helpful are making a not to do list. And instead of saying I didn't have time or like this slipped through the cracks, I didn't do it. I forgot. It's I failed to prioritize and like owning the things like, oh, I failed to prioritize um, doing my you know, PT and my Achilles hurts and like really using that language that helps me take ownership and autonomy of these things. Again, mileage may vary on that. I don't think that that's a one size fits all for all people, um, different systems and solutions that take into account your specific stress and constraints is important. But a lot of times I think that, you know, saying things like, Oh, like I didn't have time. It's like, you didn't make time for this. Right. Like, and if you truly don't have time, then it, you must communicate that with your coach so that they can adjust. Sure. You can have a conversation Correct. about that. Cause Correct. you know, at the end of the day, it's not the coach's job to determine to read you, your mind. Yeah. Or to determine like the proper schedule for an athlete. Right. That's a it's a collaboration. Yeah. That's a two way conversation where both people, you know, okay, here's the coaches. Like here are the gaps I see here. Here's the way I see this could be structured in a way that serves you based on what I'm hearing. Um, if it's a huge mistake when that responsibility, the athlete puts it all offloads it onto the coach, it's a lack of personal responsibility. Um, it's basically saying, again, I don't have time. Um, but if these goals are truly important to you, if the transformation you're hoping to have in the practice or process of working towards those goals, if you want to achieve those things, um, it involves that two way street part yeah. of this coach, that coach athlete relationship. And a big thing that I think that has been really transformative for me is having all of these things be a practice. Um, the way I eat is a practice. I'm always trying to finesse and better serve myself the way I, um, write. It's a writing practice. It's not just a habit. I want to think about allowing that space for imperfection, for allowing flexibility, um, for running. It's a practice. It's not a performance. Sometimes I, there are performance moments, but primarily what I'm doing is practicing and it is imperfect and it is flawed and I'm not always going to get it right, but I'm going to more often than not show up as best I can. Mm, that's very, um, Zen or Dallas. I mean, it's something that like I learned from yoga is like people say like my yoga practice. I think that's a transformative framework that we can graft onto a lot of things that mean a lot for us. Um, For me, it's running. For me, it's writing. For me, it's comedy. It's a practice. It's a way of showing up. It's not like, it's not just, you know, I expect myself to sit down and every time I write, write the best thing I've ever written or every run I go on, have it be perfect. And I hit the mileage and I hit the intensity and it's perfect. And every week is exactly 75 mile weeks. It's a running practice and allowing the same flexibility that I bring to yoga, which is like something about like listening to what your body needs and making adjustments and modifying running is exactly the same. It's just not always discussed in the same framework. Mm. Tell me maybe in closing out this conversation, when you notice that you're getting off track in your practice, mm. what's something that you can use you would maybe recommend to athletes to help them 
kind of just get back on, get back on the train. I allow myself to assess first, why have I maybe stepped away from this practice? Is it like I did not strength. There are some times in running where I don't strength train. Um, I could be hard on myself and say, Zoe, you dumbass, why aren't you strength training? You could be so much harder and fitter and stronger. And like, don't you see everyone on Instagram is strength training. It must be the way. No, like there might be a reason that that practice isn't serving me. And I might maybe intuitively took a step away from it. Um, what are my stress levels like? Am I getting this need met through another modality? So assessing why that practice is not a part of my life. And if I assess, like, actually, I would benefit from reconnecting with this practice, establishing um, how, and then accountability. So systematizing it, and then accountability. So I, like, I, I have a coach, um, and I have a, like, sort of like a, um, a um, not quite like an executive coach, but I, I work with Laura Pence, who helps sort of keep me on track in terms of like meeting my professional goals. So I have a framework, I have an infrastructure for specifically establishing and staying on track with those goals. Um, for a lot of folks, if you, I, I think like anytime you have a nutrition goal, that's something you want to get supervised by a professional. Those are not really things, those are not levers we really want to be pulling on alone. Um, if you want to get mentally stronger, work with a mental performance coach or a therapist. Um, if you want to get stronger physically, work with a strength coach. Like you need to systematize these things. Um, but I think it's always good to honestly address like, does this practice truly serve me? Just because it's something that the culture says generally serves most people. We can't all do all things all the time. So seeing does this fit in with where I'm at right now? And does this actually serve a purpose in helping me get to where I want to be? And just having an honest conversation based in self-reflection and awareness around that and not having it come from a place of lack, not like, oh, I don't feel like I'm enough of an athlete. That's why I should strength train. That's a bad reason to strength train. If you're like, I feel I run better when I strength train. That's a good reason to strength train. I run healthier and more consistently when I strength train. Great reason to strength train. Mm. Um, a place of lack is not a good place to make any decision from. It should be from a place of awareness and completeness. That essential self I hear coming out there. Sure. That's really Whatever awesome. you want to call it. Um, I, for <laughs> me, it, that I don't use that phrase in my head. What do you use to kind of connect yourself to the abundant side of you? I just it awareness. Awareness. Yeah. I genuinely think that when I reflect on where decisions are coming from. Bad decisions come from a place of scarcity. Good decisions come from a place of taking on a stock of what resources are available to me. And when you're doing that, are you consciously aware of your values in those moments? Yes. And I try to build, um, commit to things that are more in aware of my values increasingly moving in a direction of in better alignment with my values. I actually, uh, was just before you did this, you, we had to close out a bunch of windows on my computer and I had my like yearly reflection of like start it like each year I reflect on what I start from scratch. What are my five values that I want to move towards? Um, and you know, they do change, they shift over time. And I think that it's, it's important to reassess where those are and how you can best meet them and live in alignment with them. Absolutely. But again, like not every, you don't need every practice as well. So just assess honestly what you really need and um, how you can best get there. Yeah. What do you so think to close this out? Process of continual growth and self-awareness. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I think we all have 
moments where we start the year with uh, intention and we don't move to that place of commitment. Yeah. And, and you're allowed normal. to have intentions you don't commit to. That's very good. I've had some bad intentions that sure. after reflection and assessment, I'm like, you know what? I don't need to be like more vigilant of what I eat or whatever, or like, I don't need to wake up earlier. Right. Those are conversations I've had with myself. And I think, and I wonder just innovative coaching here, if you've gone through that process that you just went through before, oh, well, was this intention coming from a place of lack or was it coming from a place of abundance? What really serves me? Yeah. What's serving the feelings I want to elicit, the goals and the outcomes that I want to um, create for myself. That That's a really powerful way yeah. of looking at things. Yeah, definitely. Well, amazing. Thanks for uh, hey, being part of the well, conversation. Well, New Year commitments instead of resolutions. Yeah. And if you're ready to make that commitment, we've got a coach who is equally eager and ready. Yeah. We have a bunch of committed commitment. coaches, coaches who aren't resolved. They're committed. Reach out microcosmcoaching at gmail.com microcosm-coaching.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yay. All right. See ya.